Well, good morning, church family. Uh, definitely, I can, I can say with sincerity, I can definitely say from my heart, Happy New Year to you with lots of love. I get to say that still. I know it's January 10th, but I have not been with you uh, in recent days. So um, my first chance to say that, my first chance to greet you that way, and that comes from the heart, and I mean that. Um, but full disclosure, what also comes from my heart this morning is, is that I'm not sure that Happy New Year describes me. And, and I can say that because I don't think that uh, you expect me to fake it. I don't think I need to pretend. And I can also say that because I know some of you understand and relate. Um, I'm tired. I'm exhausted in many ways. Um, I'm hurting a bit. I'm struggling in multiple areas, not one area, multiple areas. And again, I, I, am, I can say that, and I can be honest as we get, our, get going in our time together in God's Word, because I know that some of you are there. Now, I, ho- I hope there's many of you that are in the Happy New Year thing. I hope so. I really do. I, and I'm, I'm glad about that. But we also acknowledge as a family when there's uh, some of us that aren't. And, um, and so that's where I, I meant it when I came up here and prayed, what a... What a, what a, how thankful I am for an opportunity to celebrate together and to consider the goodness of God together. Amen? Because no matter where you are on that scale of Happy New Year or more of the same, no matter where you are on that scale, I know, you know, that Jesus is our living hope. That Jesus is the same Yesterday, today, and forever. The fact that I know of his goodness in the past means I know I can count on his goodness moving forward. Right? And so I cling to him. My family and I cling to him. We uh, ask God to keep carrying us forward, trusting him and growing in him no matter what our circumstances are. So there's lots of ways that God uh, cares for me and shows his love for me and my family and Uh, And I'm thankful for those, and I hope that some of these are true for you as well. I mean, one simple way that God showed his care for me was I did get a few days of vacation time right after Christmas. Chance to be with family, chance to get out of town, get a change of scenery and fresh air. That's a blessing. And what that has meant for us as a church family is if you were here on December 27th, my brother Grant Stewart shared from the scriptures and shared from his life. And then last Sunday, Pastor Ed Uh, opened our series in Ephesians. We're going to be teaching our way through uh, the book of the Bible called Ephesians. And Pastor Ed started us off last Sunday. And so I hope that you saw both of those, whether you were here or whether you watched online or you know that you can always go back to our website, faithchurchdallas.org, and watch uh, messages from the past. We don't want you to miss those. Thankful for those men. And I'm thankful for Um, all the opportunities we have. Obviously, when I'm not here, we need other people to teach God's Word. But you'll notice that even when I am here, we have occasionally other people that teach God's Word. And that's intentional because we we believe that God can speak to us in different voices because what we really gather to do, right, is to keep our finger in the text and and to hear from God each week. And so I'm thankful for those uh, other voices that were able to share with us the last couple of weeks. And another, another way that uh, God cares for me is uh, I've been taking advantage of um, my rainy day file. I don't know if you have one of those, but I, I have a rainy day file where I tuck uh, encouragements from God that often come through others. 
and uh, go back to those. And, uh, and God, another way that God carries, cares for me and I hope he cares for you is in knowing that people pray. I know that there are people in my church family here who have told me and committed to me to be praying for me, my family, other leaders in our church family, and we know it, and we feel it, and we're thankful. Just this morning, one of you, a dear sister in Christ, reminded me of committed prayer for our family. So, where you are on that scale, happy new year, to more of the same, wherever you are on that scale, think about it a bit. How are you? How are you doing? Your individual circumstances, whether they're happy new year or whether they're difficult, uh, what are the situations around you, relationships, spheres of influence, places you go, places you interact, how are those things going? good or difficult. All of us, this morning's message, our time in God's word for all of us comes with the backdrop of a horrendous and unacceptable week of news, of dealing, trying to understand what, what, what swirls around us in our country. And so that's the backdrop as we come this morning to God's word. What do we do? What should we do on Sunday mornings? What should we do daily in our Christian life? Where should we turn? We don't look to the politics to help us. We don't look to worldly leaders to help us. We must trust that the God of the universe sent his son to rescue us. And that, and that, and that the word, we keep our finger in the text because the Bible is the word of God. The word of God is living and active and absolutely applicable to us today. And so that's where we turn. That's where we turn. And so we're going to do that in a couple ways this morning. We're going to get to our study in Ephesians in a couple minutes, but first I actually want to read a different passage of Scripture to you. And you're welcome to turn there if you want. It'll be in, it's in Luke 18, but you may just want to listen because I'm actually going to share with you a paraphrase. I'm not going to read from the Bible, but it's a, it's a paraphrase of a few, chapter, a few verses in Luke 18, starting at verse 9. And these were written by a friend of mine, a pastor, who was desiring to kind of paraphrase these verses of Scripture in a, in a kind of a modern take, in a, way, in a way that kind of adjusts them for us to think about them and relate to them. So this is a, my friend's paraphrase, a modern take on Luke 18, verses 9 and following. This is Jesus' teaching, and, and it's Jesus' teaching, it says, to some who were confident of their own righteousness, and they were looking down on everyone else. So Jesus told this parable. He said, two people went to the local church to pray. One, a good citizen. I'm going to portray the good citizen this morning. And you all are going to be the despised citizen. Before you're offended, let's wait for the punchline, okay? Jesus told this parable. Two people went to the local church to pray. One was a good citizen, and the other was a despised citizen. The good citizen stood alone and prayed, God, I thank you that I am not like those people. I lost my spot. <laughs> Too much acting, not enough reading, right? I thank God, I thank you that I am not like those people, the selfish, stubborn, misinformed idiots like that other person over there. I volunteer, I donate to help my community, and I vote for the right people. Right people. But the despised citizen, 
you all. Let's see what your acting skills are like. The despised citizen stood at a distance, not even looking up to heaven, but weeping and shaking and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. And Jesus says, I tell you that this person, referring to the despised citizen, Jesus says, I tell you that this person, rather than the other, was pleasing to God. For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. There's, um, there's many difficult things that we could try to process together about this past week, and about this past year, and about our culture, and about the difficulties we all face in our lives, whether we know about them in each other's lives, or whether we don't, or whether we all experienced them a couple of days ago. There's lots of things we could talk about, we could try to discuss, we could try to process. There's angles, there's these factors, there's these various opinions, and I am not even going to attempt to address them. What I want to address just a bit, and I think God's word helps us do that today, is is how do we as followers of Jesus respond to these things going on? How do we interact with each other about these things going on? Um, My heart is to urge us to carefully consider how we as followers of Jesus interact with the world and respond to the world and talk with one another and and what we do in the midst of these situations. And the reason I read that paraphrase from Luke 18 is to consider those two people. And the one that Jesus praised was the one who was looking at himself, who was humble first, instead of pointing the finger at others. Do we interact with the world with humility? Do we interact and discuss with each other and share and give opinions and process and discuss with humility? with interactions of love for one another? Or, or do we tend to throw ourselves in with the way of the world at times? Are, are, we, are, we, are we prone, if we're not careful, to go the way of the world and do whatever it takes to win, to be on the right side, to convince of my opinion? Or, or do we go to God's word, keep our finger in the text, and ask God to shape us in a way that we can live out the ways of Jesus? That's, that's my heart for us as a church family. That's my, my desire to grow as a Christ follower. So we're in a series of messages we're calling Walk Worthy. Take a turn in your Bibles to Ephesians, if you would. We are going to be walking our way passage by passage through um, the book in the Bible called the Ephesians. And I want you to turn there now. We're going to start reading in chapter 1 at verse 3 in just a moment. We're going to be in this book for a while. We're going to be walking passage by passage. This is a letter from God to us written by the Apostle Paul to a church in a town called Ephesus. That's why he's writing to the Christians in Ephesus or the Ephesian Christians. And uh, it's a letter from God to us then as well. And um, the title, Walk Worthy, you'll see is... It's kind of interesting. Ephesians ends up, as you turn there, I'll just say Ephesians kind of falls in a, in a couple sections in a way. The first two or three chapters are just rich with theological truth and the glorious good news of what Jesus has done for us. And then at the beginning of chapter 4, there's a bit of a shift to practical, where in the beginning of chapter 4, Paul writes 
walk worthy. Your, your lives are to, you're to live your life or walk in a manner that is worthy to this gospel good news. To the, you're, you're to live in such a way that's worthy of the calling that you have received as a follower of Christ. And so as we teach our way through Ephesians, we're going to celebrate these, these spectacular spiritual truths, these incredible theological truths of what God has done for us, and then we're going to ask God to help us live those out. And so I'm going to read a few verses that, that Ed already taught on last week, but just to catch us up and to get going in the flow, um, we'll start reading at verse 3. And um, as we do, as always, we're asking God to be our teacher. I know that as followers of Christ, we have the Spirit of God helping us to hear from him, helping us to understand the word uh, as we study it together. So chapter 1, verse 3 and following. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Pastor Ed talked about these spiritual blessings, and we're going to continue that, that idea today of looking for all these spiritual blessings, these theological truths that God gifts to us as part of his being his people, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, God predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace. We're going to see that phrase a few times, and we're going to talk about that later. To the praise of his glorious grace with which he has blessed us in the Beloved. So Pastor Ed talked some last week about the doctrine of election, about the fact that, that God chose us. This is, this is good news. Yeah, it might bring some questions to mind, but God chose us. He pursued us. The doctrine of election tells us that God, before the foundations of the world, had, had determined to set apart and save some to be his people. And I said that these this first chapters are full of rich theological truths and, and indications of our spiritual blessings. And one of those that Pastor Ed already has worked through with us is we've, we, we are benefit from the doctrine of election. We've been chosen. And then the word that jumps out to me, and, and you'll see why in those verses we just read, is adoption. The doctrine of, many of you already know that the doctrine of adoption, what the Bible teaches about adoption is special to my family and I because of the, my family and I's story. Our family's journey includes what I've sometimes have referred to as horizontal adoption. Our family story includes earthly adoption, children becoming part of our family uh, through adoption. And that horizontal adoption has been such a blessing in our lives, not only because of our family, not only because of our children, but the horizontal um, adoption that we've experienced has given us incredible insight into the truth and the reality, the glorious good news of our vertical adoption, us as followers of Jesus, into God's family. Our horizontal adoption giving us a picture of our vertical adoption. And why is it a picture? We need to be reminded of this sometimes. None of us, none of you, nor me, none of us are born into God's family. You're not a Christian because you're an American. You're not a Christian because your parents were. You're not a Christian because you go to church sometimes. None of us are born into being a Christian. The Bible is clear that there is no one that seeks God. 
No one is righteous. No, not one. And so we ought to be careful. We might get caught up in, um, well, yes. So none of us are born into God's family. He chooses us. He pursues us. We sang about his goodness, the Father's goodness of God who comes after us. And, and our salvation through Christ involves and includes being brought into God's family, the doctrine of, elect, uh, of adoption. So when we, when we know that God chose us and pursued us and rescued us, we could get hung up on questions about election, but we got to be careful not to make this about ourselves and what, the way we think God should operate and what we think God should or shouldn't do or way he can or can't go about things. And instead, think about it this way. No one is righteous. No, not one. None of us seeks God. So in our sin, what we deserve is separation from God. In our sin, none of us deserves to be saved, and yet God purposes to rescue a people for himself. None of us deserve, but God rescues. And who am I to question how he goes about that? Let's keep going in verse 7. Ephesians uh, 1, verse 7. In him we have redemption. What a great theological truth that is, too. We're going to think about that a little bit. In Christ, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight. Christ's rescuing work. Followers of Jesus are those who have put their faith in Jesus, who have realized we can't do it on our own and that we need Jesus to save us. And if you have become a follower of Christ, if you have put your trust in Christ, we have been redeemed. Christ's rescuing work in our life includes redemption, the idea of of buying us back out of sin and death. We were enslaved to sin, and and Jesus' work on the cross redeems us, buys us back. We were stuck and enslaved in sin, and, and Jesus paid the ransom. He paid the price, and it came at a dear, dear price. It came at a tremendous cost. The blood of Christ on the cross, his death to buy us back, to redeem us out of enslavement to sin. And so um, we read these few verses, and we, we, we need to consider the glorious good news, this, this reality of our redemption. One of these theological truths that we get in the early verses, early chapters of Ephesians is our redemption. So let's consider all that comes with redemption. We have redemption itself. Church family, you are twice bought. God created you, so you're his. And then when you were stuck and lost in sin and rebellion and going your own way and, and apart from him, He redeemed you, bought you back. You are twice bought. He created you, you are his. He paid the ransom for you through his son's death and resurrection, and he bought you back. That's how much God loves you. And our redemption includes then, some of those, that verse had some excellent things in there, reminders, that our redemption also includes absolute, total, comprehensive forgiveness of our sin. Our sin is our rebellion against God, the way we go our own ways, the way we go apart from him. But we have forgiveness of sin through Christ and and the freedom that forgiveness brings. Those verses also said that God lavishes on us the riches of his grace. 
His grace. Undeserved, unmerited kindness. God giving us what we don't deserve, not giving us what we do deserve. Lavishing on us His grace. And, and again, why are we celebrating these theological truths, this good news of what God has done for us, to celebrate that and to be thankful for what God has done in our lives as followers of Jesus, but also then to ask God, how do we live these out? God, if you love me in that way to redeem me, how does that influence the way I interact with others? God, if you have forgiven me much, and you have forgiven me though I didn't deserve it, how do I offer forgiveness to those around me? How do you, church family, interact in your spheres of influence in a forgiving way? And how do we, receivers, recipients of grace, lavished grace, filling us up, not getting what we deserve, getting what we don't deserve, how does that grace overflow out of our lives in, the inter, in our interactions with others? His grace, a flood of undeserved favor that goes on for eternity. What do you think? Ephesians 1 got some good stuff so far? We're a few verses in and we got some serious business good news from God? Okay. I might be droning on up here, but this is the word of God. Keep your finger in the text. Okay. Here we go. Verse 9. Um, well, let's, let's, read back. let's read back seven. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in Christ, things in heaven and things on earth. What was a mystery is now revealed in Christ. No longer a mystery is written right there in those verses that God's desire is in his timing to unite all things in Jesus. Verse 11. In Jesus we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things According to the counsel of his will, there's another expression we've seen multiple times, God's will. It should be exciting for us to know that God's will prevails, that he is working according to his purposes, that his purposes include rescuing a people to be called his children. His will is being accomplished, verse 12, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be, there's that phrase again, to the praise of of his glory. Verse 13, in him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him. The gospel, friends, gospel, church family, is the good news that Jesus, that God rescues sinners through Jesus. The gospel good news that the whole Bible proclaims and, and that is especially true in Christ. The gospel is the good news that God doesn't leave us stuck in our sin and separation from him, but that he, his goodness comes after us, pursues us, redeems us, buys us back, adopts us into his family. The good, gospel good news is that God doesn't leave us there, but through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus makes us right with God, saves us from sin and death, 
begins a transforming work in our lives so that we become new people, so that we leave the old, later in Ephesians, we'll hear that we leave behind our old selves and God begins to put on the new self, that, that the Spirit makes us new from the inside out. So God's will that he's working here, his revealed will, is that all of us would respond to the gospel good news, that we would see what God has done for us and in, in response that we would turn to him that we would put our faith in Jesus Christ, that we would realize that we can't do it on our own, but that because Jesus lived the life that we cannot, died the death we deserve, and was raised again to new life, we put our hope and our trust in that, and God makes us his. That's the gospel good news. Verse 13 says, In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, believed in him. That's the call to respond to the gospel. It's not enough to know the gospel, to know about Jesus, to have read the story a couple times. The Bible calls for a response, that we believe that Jesus is who he says he is, that he's done what he's, what he's done on the cross for us, and that we can't rescue ourselves, that we put our faith in him and believe. In him, you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it, to the praise of his glory. There's that expression again. To the praise of his glory. So church family, just just know, let's make sure, when you put your trust in Jesus for salvation, when we have come to the end of ourselves, when we realize that we fall short and sin against God, and go our own way, when we realize that there is nothing I can do to save myself, then we put our trust in Jesus, recognizing that it's not about what I do, it's about what Jesus has already done. We recognize that it's not my work, there's nothing I can do, behave, match up, try hard. It's not about my work to get saved, it's about the work that Jesus has already done on the cross. So we believe in Jesus. And church family, if you have done that, if you have surrendered your life to Christ, if you have said, I've come to the end of myself, I can't do this on my own. I'm not just talking about 20 years ago when you became a Christian perhaps, but every day recognizing you can't do it on your own and you give your heart and life to Christ. We have salvation that is past tense when we first began to walk with Jesus, and we have salvation that is ongoing, that he is, that he is working, that he is rescuing, that he is transforming and saving. And how is that happening? Because when you become a follower of Christ, whenever that was, whenever you crossed over from sin to forgiveness, when you crossed over from death to life, when you crossed over from being apart from God to being his child, whenever it was that your heart, when you gave your heart and mind and soul to Christ for salvation, the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit, God himself, came to live within you. Do you know that? The Bible teaches, this is an incredible reality, it's hard to imagine, it's hard to understand. The Bible teaches that a follower of Christ, upon becoming a Christian, upon calling out to Jesus for salvation, the Spirit of God, God himself, we are indwelled by the Holy Spirit. We have God living with us. That's how we learn to live for him. It's not my work, my effort, my trying hard to be a good Christian. You're going to be transformed if you are a Christian and, and the Spirit came into your life. If the Spirit's not in your life, you have to wonder, 
if you're a follower of Jesus. Because when you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, the Bible teaches that the Spirit of God indwells us. He is our helper. The Spirit is our, the Bible says is our helper. He guides us. He transforms us from the inside out. And this passage talks about a couple of interesting things about the Spirit. Looking back at verses 13 and 14, we see that the Spirit, God, the Holy Spirit, is God's seal on us. A, a seal of, of marking us as, 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 as permanently his. God's seal of, of, of permanent ownership that he created us, that we are his, and that his protection of us is constant because his presence with us is constant. The Holy Spirit is God's seal. The Spirit in us means we are his. And those verses that we just read, verse 14 also tells us that the Spirit is also the beginning, kind of the beginning proof or the first installment or, or the guarantee. We, we have some now and it guarantees there's more to come. And this is also excellent news. The Spirit is the, this beginning proof of our inheritance that is coming. We know that when Jesus returns and sets all things right and we will be transformed fully into his image, we look forward to those things that are coming in the future. But the Holy Spirit is also a mark, that, that a guarantee that that inheritance will come. The Holy Spirit is an indicator that God is working in our lives now and will complete that work in the future. God is at work in us now, and, and the transformation, uh, the work that he is doing to transform us to be more like Jesus will be complete in the future. Again, these are the rich theological truths, the spiritual blessings that, that Ephesians is packed with. The truth of our election, the truth of our adoption into his family, the, 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 the truth of redemption being bought back, the, the, all that redemption includes, forgiveness and grace, all of these are spiritual blessings, these rich theological truths that Ephesians wants us to know and celebrate and bask in so that we can then live to his glory. So that not only can we be thankful for what God has done for us, but then that our lives will reflect that and we will live for him. Because as we mentioned earlier, then at the beginning of chapter 4, this letter to Ephesians says at the beginning of chapter 4, walk worthy. Your life is to be lived in a fashion that is worthy of this gospel good news, of all that God has done for you. And the reason, I already suggested this, but want to say it again, the reason we can, the reason it's even possible to walk worthy, to live a life worthy of the gospel good news, is because God puts his spirit within us, empowering us and changing us from the inside out, making us a new person, giving us a new heart, a new mind, and new desires, and an ability to live out this good news. I, I listened to a friend, a pastor recently, who said something along these lines. I'm sure I'm not going to say it as well. But he said, if you're not ready for change, if you're not ready to grow and, and mature and, and become, um, uh, uh, you know, grow in your faith, then, then you're not ready for following Jesus. Because that's what happens when you trust in Christ and you receive the Spirit of God. Jesus isn't in, in, the, in the operating, his MO isn't to just come and hang out. Jesus comes and he brings the Spirit of God to live within you and to transform you and to make you a new person and so that you can live for his glory. 
So if you're listening to this, if you're reading your Bible and you're kind of wondering, oh, should I follow Jesus or not? If you're not ready to be changed into a new person, then you're not ready to follow Jesus. Because that's the work that Jesus does. If you're a follower of Jesus, you should not be the same tomorrow as you were today. If you're a follower of Jesus, you should not be the same today as you were five years ago, ten years ago, whenever it was that you began to follow Jesus. This is something that happens and happens and transforming. And so what's the evidence? What's the evidence that we have the Spirit of God in our life? How do I know that the Spirit lives within me? How do you know that, that, that God himself is living within you? And the Bible's clear in lots of places. The markings of spirit work in your life. It's this transformation that I'm talking about. It's this change into more and more, being more and more like Christ. It's growing, and, and not that you're going to be perfect on this side of eternity, but that as God, by his spirit, transforms you from the inside out, we, are, we become more and more conformed to the likeness of Christ. We become more, our hearts are aligned, our desires become more aligned, our behaviors become more aligned because of God's work in our life. We, we see scriptures in Galatians like what you've heard called the fruit of the spirit. It's not that these things would come all at once and that we'd be perfectly this kind of a Christian, but the fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, gentleness, kindness, self-control, Etc. The fruit of the Spirit is not that you are all those things perfectly all the time as soon as you become a follower of Christ, but, but God's word is saying that the markings of someone who has given their life to Christ and received the indwelling Holy Spirit is going to be increasingly transformed and those fruits will be increasingly true in their life. With me? So that's where I, I don't want to address the events of this past week, the rights and wrongs, the who did what, the what their excuses were, the what their reasons were, the what could we decide, what do we think of this or that. That's not what I want to address. That's what I want you as followers of Jesus to seek God's wisdom and spiritual discernment on. But, that, but where I want to urge us is how we approach these conversations, how we interact with each other, how we proclaim our opinions, how do we discuss with one another what we see going on in the world, there will be, I want us to, to, to be spirit-filled, spirit-guided, spirit-directed in the way we interact with one another, fellow believers, in the way we interact with our community and nation and world. We will have differing perspectives, differing opinions. But how are we responding? How do we fight? What rules are we playing by? What's guiding us? What rules are we living by? What, what, what behavior and, and interaction and communication do we think is acceptable and who said so? What's the purpose behind what we're doing, what we're saying, what we're thinking? Are our purposes, is my heart, is my thinking, are my opinions in line with God's? Do I submit myself to evaluate? Am I... Seeking God's values. Am I in alignment with God's values? Looking to the word of God to evaluate my heart and mind. And then even in doing that, even once I've done that, do I also check to see if my methods, if my actions, if my words, if the way I go about things, are those in alignment 
with the ways of Jesus. We will have our differing opinions and values and, and thoughts, but are we, are we asking God to help us live out the ways of Jesus? I am praying for our country. And I am praying for us, church family. I'm praying for me as an individual follower of Christ and for you as followers of Christ. I am praying that Christians everywhere will, will individually and, and as churches respond in ways that are glorifying to Jesus. That, that the outside world sees the way Christians respond and speak and that that would be marvelous good news to a lost and dying, stuck in sin world. I pray that in their desperateness and in their darkness and in their struggles for answers and in their lack of hope, that they would see Christians and groups of Christians that would bring light, not confusion, that would bring hope, not more condemnation. I'm, that's how we want to pray for each other and for Christians across the world. Are we going to accidentally handle things? Are we going to handle difficult situations or conflicts in the way of the world? Or are we going to be different? Different as God calls us to be different. Are we going to fight, argue, or strive to be the same, to make sure that we're right, that we're on the right side? Are we going to use the same methods of the world, you know, the shout louder, complain, take what I want? Are we going to use those methods? Or are we going to ask God to change us from the inside out that our hearts and minds and our lives would reflect the life of Christ? And the things that we've talked about from the glorious good news of Ephesians 1 this morning, Love, grace, and kindness, these riches of God's grace abounding to us, do we share those with others? I think that the name of Jesus is tarnished in our spheres of influence. I think the name of Jesus is tarnished in our world when Jesus' followers imitate the world more than we imitate Jesus. Is my interaction on these topics... Are my social media posts, are my conversations, are my discussions on difficult things guided by the Holy Spirit of God living in me? Or, or, am, I, or am I fighting and, and selfishly thinking and playing according to the world's set of rules? And how do we as a church, how does a community of Christians interact with each other and with non-believers and with the world around us? Are we governed by cultural rules? By, are we governed by, by standards that are acceptable to the world? Are, are we operating in a system of rules that, that whoever told us is, is okay way to behave? Or, as Christians, are we marked by biblical standards and values is love seen in our lives? Are we demonstrating, demonstrating grace and mercy, living out the ways of Jesus? And I want to stop there for a minute. I'm not quite done. I'm almost done. You're hoping I'm almost done. But I'm going to stop there for a minute before I conclude, and I'm going to urge you to take a moment to pray. I'm going to leave some silence, and, and I want us to pray individually where you are, I want to give us some time to reflect on these and pray. And I would just ask you to, to consider doing this in the next minute or so. Ask God to help us in our responses and interactions with those around us. When difficult things happen, when, when, when current events 
are disheartening and confusing and discouraging and, and even scary. Ask God to help us respond and interact um, according to his ways. And, and also think back to our Luke 18, our paraphrased parable of who Jesus praised. The one who was pointing fingers at others or the one that pointed the finger at himself and said, I'm a sinner. So I would, I would encourage you in your prayer to, to ask God for help in our responses, but I would also ask you to use your time here for a moment to pray that God would humble us before him, that we would look at ourselves before we point the finger at others. Let's, let me, let's pray for a moment. Father, thank you for being with us. Thank you that you are a God who, who doesn't stay afar from us, but who has come near to us in Christ and who has come near to us and in living within us. Change us from the inside out, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. I'm going to close with just this quick um, quote from a, another pastor and author. And it's okay if you respond with celebration to these truths, okay? Richard Koken writes this, the wonderful assurance of our salvation. Some of the things that we've studied this morning from this passage in Ephesians, Richard Koken writes this, the wonderful assurance of our salvation for anyone who believes the gospel, if you are a follower of Jesus, if you have put your trust in Christ, if you have embraced the good news that God rescues sinners through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. He writes this, anyone who believes the gospel, the, the assurance of salvation you have Anyone who believes in the gospel are these things. The irreversible election of the Father. He chose you. The, the irreversible redemption of the Son. He rescued you. He's bought you back. You are twice bought. And the irreversible indwelling of the Holy Spirit. Those good news? And because of that... And because of that, he writes that our glorious future as followers of Jesus could not be more secure. Irreversible election, irreversible redemption, and irreversible indwelling of the Holy Spirit. Father God, we thank you for an opportunity to study your word together this morning as a church family. Father, we, we thank you for these spiritual blessings that we studied in the early verses of Ephesians. God, we thank you for the realities of these rich theological truths that, that we are chosen, that you've adopted us into your family, that you've bought us back out of sin. And God, we, we, we thank you for the unbelievable reality that your spirit lives within us. So God, would our lives reflect our thankfulness for these things? Would we celebrate and remember all that you have done for us through Christ. And God, would we consider these spiritual blessings and would they not just be, be head knowledge? Would we not just think, great, I learned today about a couple of doctrines, but God, I pray that these spiritual blessings would stir our hearts to serve you with the worship of our whole lives, that all we do and say would be given to honor you. God, I pray that these spiritual blessings that you've taught us about would, would also cause us to open our mouths in adoration of you, not just on Sundays when we lift our voices in song, but throughout the week. God, I pray that you would open our mouths to praise God. We, we read that phrase multiple times this morning. Would our lives be to the praise of your glorious grace? Would your unbelievable, unmerited, undeserved love given to us would that fill us in such a way that we love those around us? Father, when things are tough, 
Would you help us to look to your word? Would you be, help us to be reminded of, of these truths, of all that Jesus has done? And God, I pray that, that when things are hard, we would listen for your spirit's work in our lives, that we would listen for your spirit's voice leading us and guiding us so that our lives would be lives lived to the praise of your glorious grace. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.